Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to a new episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today we are taking a look at A24's The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's a movie that came out a little earlier this year, just finally hit VOD, and I've uh, been wanting to do an episode on it. Didn't think we'd get a chance to do an episode, so I actually did a written review on the website, which by the way, if you're not reading my written reviews on the website, you should. You can go to piecingpod.com and any movie, I kind of have like a challenge with myself. Any movie we don't cover on the show, but I see in the theater, I try to do a written review. So you can find written reviews all over the website. Um, And I did do one for The Last Black Man in San Francisco back when it came out because I didn't think we'd get around to it. But here we are. We got an episode. Uh, friend of the show, Chris Cranock, had been wanting to do this one for a while as well. And so we finally made it happen, and uh, I think we got a great, it's a long conversation, but we get into a lot of great puzzle pieces about this truly beautiful movie, uh, one of the best movies of the year. And if you don't know what it is, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, it's uh, directed by Joe Talbot, and it's about a guy named Jimmy and his best friend who set out on a kind of journey to reclaim Uh, Jimmy's grandfather's house in one of the most gentrified areas of San Francisco and uh, it's it goes in very strange and beautiful kind of magical realism directions and it's just it's a very original movie very beautiful very touching and uh, we're gonna get into it in this conversation and before we do I want to remind you to please make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts follow us on social media at Piecing Pod and join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces alright let's get into this conversation alright we got with us back on the show Chris Cranock Chris how you doing man I'm doing well man thanks for having me back enjoying our little uh, mandate day it's it's been the best mandate it's, I've had in a long time. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, and and now we're going to record a podcast episode with with rain and thunder, and who knows what's it's going on. It's very intimate. We're both bare chested. Things are falling through my window. This is going to be interesting. Hopefully, uh, hopefully things go well. Um, <laughs> we're talking. <laughs> they never do when I'm on the show. It, that, that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, today we are talking about the last black man in San Francisco, a movie that came out earlier this year, and uh, is. Just now hitting VOD and a movie that uh, 
I will admit, when I first walked out of the theater, I wasn't quite sure if I liked it that much. But as it just, I started thinking about it, it started kind of revealing itself to me in many mm -hmm. different ways. It just really started to hit me. Um, but I know you loved it fairly immediately. Yeah. Well, I loved it as it was happening, but as it was, it was so good as it was actually unfolding in front of me that I became very suspicious. <laughs> and then I also became really worried because sometimes a movie, you know, is so great and then it blows it within the last five seconds. And so I was like, how are they going to bring this thing? How are they going to bring it home? Yeah. And that's a really, you know, crazy thing to be thinking, but I, I couldn't help it. Yeah. It was so great though, that I then went back the next day and saw it again, mm -hmm. uh, just to make sure that it was as good as I thought it was. Right. And it was, it, it's, it's a, it's a great film. We still have a little while left to go this year with new movies coming out, but I think, uh, I, I doubt I'll see a better film. It really touched me and moved me, and it's my favorite film of the year. That's awesome. Well, uh, why don't we go into some puzzle pieces? I know you've got a few more than I do today, but let's get with your first one. Okay. Uh, the first one might be the most obvious one, and I hope it's not on your list. I don't want to steal from you, but I'm going to have to say Moonlight. Okay. And uh, that's the thing is I don't know. The thing about that movie uh, is that, or that movie in relation to this movie, is that what I've learned about The Last Black Man in San Francisco is that it's a passion project that's probably lived within these guys making the movie and this director for a long time, long before Moonlight ever came out, and they probably had things chosen and selected. But the reason why I want to mention Moonlight is because I think it might have paved the way for a movie like this. Mm -hmm. um, I think it probably had a subliminal influence. I think there's connective tissue creatively that might sure. just be coincidental i yeah. don't i don't i don't think that they watched that movie and said oh, we got to make a movie like that right but i think it kind of created an atmosphere that that allowed for the last black man in san francisco to exist mm. and uh and it's they're both unique uh original films with a very strong voice but there's some type of connective tissue i think it's the poetic element about the films sure not only that it's about an african-american as the lead uh, that's like a superficial connection. Yeah. But I think it's more about the approach. It's it's the more poetic, uh, almost Terrence Malick-influenced vibe that both of the films have. They don't have traditional structures. They don't have, you know, they don't, they don't uh, unfold in a very uh, formulaic way. And I think there's just a lot in common with uh, the vision of the directors. I don't know if it's just coincidental or if uh, you know, they saw Moonlight and were so impressed by it, they mm -hmm. wanted to kind of continue in that new that new path that Moonlight blazed. Yeah. But whatever the influence, it's somehow there. It's like in the ethos of cinema now. Yeah. Moonlight was like a, a meteorite that hit the earth. Definitely. And I did not have Moonlight on my list, but uh, I think it's a great puzzle piece. And also, uh, you know, just the way that Moonlight used Miami, um, mm. it, you know, it it really was a, a real serious like love letter to that that city in a lot of yeah. ways as well. And so I, I think there's definitely a connection there as well uh, oh, with, yeah. with the way that this movie, you know, truly loves San Francisco for what it can be, you know, and, and yeah, the stories I mean, that can unfold there. One of the reasons I loved Last Black Man so much is that it's about so many things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really ambitious. And it's about not only the relationship and the characters, and it has all kinds of you know, social and political commentary. It has like all these layers, but it's also really this movie about a city, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like there's a lot of specific nuance that people that have spent a lot of time in San Francisco or live there will understand. And I think the same things about Miami. I know San Francisco better than I know Miami. Yeah. So I think I, I picked up on those. Those layers, yeah. San Francisco is my favorite American city. Mm -hmm. That I, yeah, I don't, I've never lived there, but visiting often, I, it's a great, great city. And uh, and so I felt that real admiration for the city and 
There's things in there that only a per, like a San Francisco person would understand. Yeah. But they're so specific that they become universal. And well, you, uh, I feel like I was like, they let me in on that, some of those secrets. Right. So yeah, right. no, I think they have that in common as well, those two movies. Absolutely. Well, you're allowed to hate San Francisco because you love it so much, right? Oh, that's, that's true. That yeah. the strange with Thurber Birch <laughs> cameo. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> that, yeah, she was just shitting on it. But that's a, the thing is, the movie has a lot of those like kind of uh, poetic lines that, you know, that's a gamble because some of those lines can feel really uh, forced. Right. And yet in this movie, it has really, you know, owned it and earned it. And Absolutely. I never, I never really felt pulled out of it by some of those more... Um, artistic flourishes that again, it's always a delicate balance. You know, yeah, I was like holding my breath throughout this movie. It, it owns up to every one of those artistic flourishes. It earns it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So. It, it was unabashedly artistic, but yeah. it never felt cheap. It never felt it was, it was just such a sincere movie. Yeah, that could really it got away with murder in a lot of ways. But the artistry of the film was so abundant that lines like that they flew. Yeah, you know they could sink in another movie, but you know you got to love San Francisco. You got to love it in order to hate it. And you can kind of go, okay, yeah, whatever. This yeah. is kind of these cheap philosophizing ideas. But this one wasn't that. They had earned right. that. And that coming from that character, I believed that line. Exactly. You know, exactly. So. Well, uh, for my first puzzle piece, I'm going to go with the one that I thought you were going to bring up there uh, when you said I might have it. But um, uh, that is Blind Spotting from a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. No. Which, uh, another movie that, that deals with this you know, region of the country, of yeah. the state, you know, of, of California. And... Um, you know, also, you know, again, like you said, it's kind of superficial to dealing with, you know, black issues and oh, all that yeah. stuff. But but also, um, I the main thing that I thought, aside from the region, um, is just the way that the movie kind of builds towards this uh, performance within the movie that almost doesn't seem like it could be real even within <laughs> it within the the uh the world of the movie it almost doesn't seem like could this be happening you know oh, uh with, with the the uh the rap performance and blind spotting and then the one man play within uh, the last black man in san oh, francisco which yeah. just seems so uh it, it just seems like wow this is happening right now yeah. like these people really all came into this house and are really watching this play like is this happening yeah. you know but but uh within the world of the the movie it is happening and same goes for blind spotting i mean it it really all builds to that big central performance That's and true. I, I think it's uh it's really interesting and it, you know it, it kind of speaks to uh performance i guess as a uh, a thing that that can have just so much power yeah. yeah, and that's what's true. I mean, I, I you know it's funny that's not even on my list, and mm -hmm. I, it's it's an obvious one that should have been because it's so true. I can I totally agree. Uh, these these podcasts are never as interesting when we both agree with each other the sure. entire time. But uh, yeah. I'm just gonna be honest. No, it's yeah, it's it is really interesting. And both of those performances delivered, and they were both explosive. Mm -hmm. Like I was kind of like I my mouth was agape when yeah. I watched the one well, the one man play. Yes, absolutely. And it was the culmination of a lot of story threads that I thought was handled really beautifully and uniquely. Especially the yeah you know, the toxic masculinity mm -hmm. thread that goes through this movie, yet another layer of the last black man in San Francisco. Oh, so yeah. both of those movies are really heady. Uh, they're they they're intelligent. They're pointed. They're critical of a time and a place and an era and our environment. And so they're both very sharp films and and poignant films and timely movies. Yeah, so there's a lot in there that I think that connect those two projects as well. Another one of those movies that uh, this movie is probably was in development long before they saw blind spotting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. But there's just some kind of like, you know, something in the air about them. Yeah. Um, these stories are begging to be told. And I think that it's great. What I like about last black man as well is that 
by making toxic masculinity a, 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 one of its themes and one of its points, and then you have the character be a little bit more of an artistic you know, playwright and an sure. actor, it is it gives you some kind of clarity into that world. The 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 use of the Greek choir theme of the young black guys rapping on the street corner. They're always together in a corner. That's a classic Greek yeah. you know usage of the of the, the choir cliche yeah but it's reinvented here in a really unique way and because you know, there's all these like little elements that give it really uh great context and i think yeah black black blast wow excuse me last black man uh pick an easier title guys i'm gonna say it <laughs> the whole podcast no, no i'm just kidding no it's it's a great and it's a very catching title it's a great title but anyway so it uh yeah i think both movies blind spotting and uh last black man there's just like a general ambition about them. Yeah. I was actually surprised by Blind Spotting. I hadn't read nothing about it or seen anything about it, so I just went to see it and I was kind of floored by that one too. I yeah. thought it had a lot of balls. You know, before we go on to the next puzzle piece, back to the title, I do think it's a great title because it's like it's such like a like an exaggeration, you know? It's like you, you just it's really going to catch a lot of people off guard who don't really know what to expect going into it. I yeah, think. it's like it's like intrinsically poetic. Yeah. You know, I I um I wrote a Western movie one time, and I made the tagline of that movie, uh, even a dead man can't outrun himself, which makes no sense <laughs> at all. It's a stupid tagline that I think, in hindsight, I hate. But, I'll, uh, but, I, and, but I was going for something that was, you know, didn't make any logical sense, but had some type of resonance poetically. Yeah. And I think about Last Black Man, despite it, you know, of course, having its place within the film itself and being the name of the play, and then the, the grandfather was the first black man, you know, that whole that mm-hmm. whole thing going on. Uh, it, it's a catching title. Yeah. And it also gives you a sense of the heightened realism. You know, one of the things you said, like, how could this be happening? Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, the movie is expressionistic in a lot of ways. Sure. Uh, and again, and yet, that's the, one of the things I was really impressed by, particularly because this is their first feature film. Yeah. Um, which makes me admire them all the more, and I want to know them and pick their brain. Uh, and it's that they were, they had such a nuanced balance. They had, they, that's the thing is the control for a movie of, of heightened realism, of expressionistic approach it's much harder of a balancing act yeah. to make those things work and play. You know, sometimes uh, first films, they, they want to come onto the scene so you know, the filmmaker, it's more about the filmmaker than it is the film. Yeah. And they want to really make a statement. Mm. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, like um, An Angel at My Table, which is not one of my puzzle pieces, but it could be a great film from New Zealand. Uh, the, the filmmaker blends into the story so seamlessly that you don't even know that they're there. Mm. And so I feel like Last Black Man is like perfectly in between those things. It's artistic. It has a statement to make. It's creative. It's it's challenging. It's risky. Uh, and yet it never felt like self-servicing the filmmaker. It felt like there this was like a real love song that they needed, that there was a passion behind. Right. And right. they just bled into the project. And that all is very visible and palpable. Sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, what do you got for your next puzzle piece? Next puzzle piece is going to have to be the Royal Tenenbaums. Ooh. Yeah, and you know what's funny is, you know, I, I think it's just visual. Um, uh. wa- watching that house uh, made me think of the house in Royal Tenenbaums. It's, it's also, it's this dreamy San Francisco, the way that Royal Tenenbaums takes place in a dreamy New York. Uh-huh. You know, that New York doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and that San Francisco doesn't exactly exist. The cinematography is so painterly and so beautiful that it helps give you a sense of the city without making it like a documentary right it, it the house is a dream to the main character and therefore 
the subjective camera is making us feel like it's a dream. Hmm. And so I think dreamy is the right way to describe it. Whenever I think of Royal Tenenbaums, I think of this dreamy, fantastical New York. Sure. You know, this the, everything is like the 1970s brown and soft and warm and all those color tones that exist within the city but aren't exclusive you know, to that. So I feel like that's... I think the visuals had a lot of Wes Anderson to it. Right. But without, again, becoming so self-indulgent the way that Wes often does where it's like so predictable. Right. You know, there's... Um, I mean, when you have Jello from the Dead Kennedys pop up on a Segway in your movie, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. And I feel like that that's a... They did that same thing with their visuals. It was mm-hmm. gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was stunning. They had that unique aspect ratio that, you know, I don't know why they did that necessarily, and, but it, it worked. You know, sometimes aspect, aspect ratios now are becoming like this thing where right. people are using them more, you know, openly and... We're getting the four by three Instagram filter on ghost story and all these, you know, they're kind of using them really uniquely. Uh, but yeah, I think just visually Royal Tenenbaums uh, is very present. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I love that puzzle piece. I, I hadn't thought of it, but yeah, I mean, you know, that house is just, uh, it's so beautiful, you know, and you could see why he'd, you know, be so uh, like obsessed with that house. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's an amazing place. Yeah. And the main character wears the same clothes, just like Chaz, you know, uh-huh. just like Ben Stiller is always wearing the same clothes. These are another like expressionistic choice. Yeah. You know, this is not something, you know, it probably has a rationale. It probably has a reason, but mm-hmm. it's not one of those things that's crucial to you understanding the movie. Yeah. And again, it's just like heightening the sense of, of unreality, which then this is again, owed to the filmmakers who makes makes the fact that you can be creative and and make an exaggerate reality makes the elements of the movie that are the most real resonate even more mm-hmm. that's what's that's the that's the brilliant balance that i was so impressed with it's like you make this very artistic film and yet all those real deep emotional things that need to hit home on a real level are only underscored mm-hmm. by your creative decisions that's just so hard to do sure well, uh, for my next puzzle piece, I'm going to go to another A24 film. Um, and so, you know, this one obviously deals a lot with, you know, gentrif- gentrification and, uh, you know, th- these people being forced out of their neighborhoods. They're, they're in San Francisco and, um, you know, basically, you know, they're, they're basically homeless, the main people, you know, yeah. and, you know, they're just squatting at the house and, uh, the the movie I was thinking of is uh, the Florida Project, which oh, yeah. deals with like the whole you know hidden homeless uh, situation and uh, people who are just getting by somehow and they don't really have anywhere to go, and um and it's just like this really bleak but true look at what's <laughs> happening right now, yeah. you know, and and that's a, an interesting thing about this movie is that you know if you weren't paying attention, you might even think, especially because of like their clothes and some mm-hmm. of the set design, you might think this is like in the seventies or something like yeah, that, but sure. this is a very now story. It's yeah. a, it's very much about what's happening currently. And, uh, they, they both, I think share that kind of thing about showing what's happening to, um, you know, to that level of society right now of, of people who just, uh, they don't have any kind of opportunity to find any kind of footing and, and get onto any kind of next level. They're just, they're just kind of getting by the Mm -hmm. best they can, you know? Yeah. And I think these filmmakers were in a particularly interesting position because San Francisco has become the most expensive city in the country. It's more expensive than Manhattan. Mm -hmm. As long as I think that's still the statistic, right? That's still, yeah. yeah, And, uh, and so I feel like it's a great 
opportunity. You know, this was another movie. This movie felt like the right time, right place. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of know why Plan B kind of scooped it up mm. because not only did the filmmakers exude some type of talent that was just obvious, but they also had there was like a, something to say here. Yeah. And it was timely, and it was and it was political, and San Francisco is just this perfect way to to you know that's like the it's the best metaphor for what's happening all over the country. Mm. You know, these people. Especially the sense of loss. Yeah, they had this house. Yeah. Now they no longer have it. It was, you know, we don't know the circumstances. We know the dad's hustling, making DVDs and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, but what put him in that situation in the first place? It Was he always a person of that type of in- lack of integrity or, or integrity or whatever, however you want to interpret it? Mm. Or was this something he's doing out of necessity because society turned their back on him? Yeah. And then this city is now wonderfully representative of that cultural change, that shift. Yeah. You know, we've become, I mean, we've, as Americans, we've always been me, 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 but I think that's only been exacerbated, uh, as time has gone on and we've sure. you know, become more and more isolated yeah. and, uh, we're losing our very homes where that's really happening. There yeah. are really people on the street, especially with the foreclosure wave that happened a couple of years ago with, oh, you know, yeah. when everything, the housing market crashed. So it's it's extremely timely and and painful in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, Florida Project is a great film, and again, the the other it's funny. It's worth mentioning that these are A twenty four films, and there's almost becoming a feeling with an A twenty four movie, mm. which is dangerous. Although the film we saw recently, The Farewell, mm. didn't have that. Right, you know, overly like a twenty four vibe. And right. it was it was refreshing to see because there's nothing worse than like okay something's new and then we're just gonna do it until it's old like immediately. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like a twenty four has been exciting for like what sixteen months and yeah. now I'm kind of getting bored. Right. So I'm wor- I'm like oh god can we just you know keep doing different things? But what's nice is that uh, uh, those two films do feel similar. But again, Last Black Man just had some type of unique spark. It didn't really fit into any mold yet. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, there's some elements there, but I, I think it, it's it's such a, a unique original movie, even if there are parallels that you can draw between another sure. A24, you know? That's what's interesting. Interest, wow, pardon me. I can't talk today. <laughs> um, interesting about this uh, show, uh, piecing it together, is that, you know, we've discussed, do filmmakers like talking about their influences? Mm. You know, and I would say that probably the, the secure ones like to talk about it. Yeah. The insecure ones probably don't, and then there's probably like egomaniacs like Tarantino who released a list of movies you should watch before watching the movie that he yeah. made from the movies that he ripped off, and it's like wow, that's like Inception of ego. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like that's insane. Uh, it's like ego within an ego. Uh-huh. Um, it's like look at all the shit I stole yeah. uh, for you to appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like okay. Um, so, but that's my interpretation. Some people go nuts over that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I think that. Uh, the that last black man is definitely the result of a lot of powerful influences, but there's a real artist. There's two. You know, there's mainly two, there's a lot of artists involved in this movie, but there's two main artists that have real clarity in their voice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for their next thing. It's going to be interesting I'm to nervous. see where they go from this. Yeah, because it's so. We were saying before we started rolling, it's yeah. such a personal film. Like, is this all they have to say? I right. don't think so. My yeah. gut is that they have more to say. I would think so, but it's a risk. Yeah, would you make something this? great out of the gate it's like kevin costner i hate kevin costner he made dances with wolves it's fucking a masterpiece Mm -hmm. it drives me crazy how good it is (laughs) but then he made the postman so i was like okay i can live with that Mm. you suck you suck again (laughs) you made a perfect masterpiece and now you suck and there's balance back in the world yeah so hopefully these guys don't make their next their their postman right right (laughs) 
Well, what do you got for your uh, next puzzle piece? I forgot what we were even doing. Yeah. I was just... <laughs> I was so you're seeing red right now. I was now. so I was I'm so mad. I'm so mad about how good. I'm so mad and happy how good uh, uh, what Dance with the Wolves is. Um, so speaking of gentrification, because I think that's an important again another another uh, another onion uh, layer to peel yeah. back. It's another huge part of it. Oh, I'm yeah. gonna have to go do the right thing. Okay. Again, these are this one's a little obvious. I mean, yeah. what movie after Do the Right Thing? You know, what what movie wasn't influenced by it? Sure. That was another movie that's like a meteorite. You know, like that's back when when cinema inspired people going to a coffee shop after the movie and having a, a debate. Yeah. You know, that, that we live in a different time now where that doesn't happen, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why we need shows like this. Um, <laughs> but you know, when I think about Do the Right Thing, that's another film that is extremely expressionistic. You know, hottest day of the year, we're going to shoot stuff against a huge red wall. Yeah. So these are like really obvious art school choices, and yet they're so sincere and they're so in, in da- like they're so infused with a, with with an idea and and a rich passion that they work. Yeah. You know, and uh, there's that kind of famous little scene where the guy's wearing the Larry Bird jersey and they bump in, you know, and he he makes the Nike or he makes the Jordans. I think it's Jordan. I might be totally off on what it was, some special shoe. I wouldn't know either. So yeah, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I think it's a Jordan. Yeah, or something. Some like you know, or no, I, I don't know. But it's this Boston Celtics. The guys wearing the jersey. Yeah. I don't know anything about sports. So yeah, it's a sh- it's called a jersey, right? It's like I, a, I think <laughs> I, so. I've been told. Okay, yeah, they, they, uh, they make goals in basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, and uh, and there's that part where he's like, you know. It's all like that little moment is, is crystallized about gentrification. That they're, these these white folks are moving in, yeah. kicking the blacks out, and uh, it's sad. Yeah, and we I mean we live in a town where uh, gentrification is rampant. Mm-hmm. We had I mean back in the day down downtown, you can go get a hooker and get stabbed all on Christmas morning, <laughs> right. and it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, and now sneakers have moved in, and a sneaker factory or whatever the fuck's down there is changing it all. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, so yeah, we live in that. It's a little bit different and not nearly as important, but definitely we understand the the side effects of it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, to do the right thing is such a, a great film of power. It changed my young life. It influenced my my life. It gave me empathy mm-hmm. as a sheltered, affluent, you know, little white kid that didn't. You know, the film is a, is a pat is a pass into these things. It's 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 an empathy builder. Right. Uh, it opens the door to let you into other cultures and ideas and rocks your world. And and the main thing, especially for someone like me who hasn't experienced it in their life helps build empathy and understanding and, and is educational in a way. Yeah. Not that it's Spike Lee's job to educate me or not that it's these filmmakers job to educate me sure but the fact that i'm able to take that information and, and incorporate it into a more empathetic view of the world and of people different than me i think that's what makes those movies even more important than just being great pieces of art i think i think that's a really good point about this movie because um you know just admitting that one of the things that I wasn't a hundred percent, whether or not I liked about the movie at first is the fact that he's basically squatting in this house. Mm. And we've had a lot of squatting in our neighborhood here. And it's just oh, like, you always like subjective. Criticism. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, like, do I, do I like this character that's squatting, you know, but, yeah. but it's like, you know, it really brings you into that world and shows you, you know, what, why things like this are, you know, yeah, people are forced into these situations. Yeah. And the thing is, I like, how intelligent the leads are. Yeah. I like that they themselves are not stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I like that the choir is a stereotype to a certain extent, but then that even that is expanded and excavated. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of tropes in this movie that you can pinpoint 
uh, besides very minor, you know, like the buddy type movie, you can always draw some type of parallel, but sure. nothing that is you know, egregious or sloppy or lazy. It's all such a organic, beautiful experience in, in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing is I like movies that, and we, I mentioned this to you earlier, the movies that follow their internal, their own internal logic. Mm. And, um, I have another puzzle piece that kind of leads into that, but I'll let you go first. Well, why, yeah, why don't you go with it if it leads right in there? Since okay. I know you have more than me, so okay, why, do you, sure. why don't you do it? Um, I was going to say one of the movies that is on my list is, is a great, great, great film, one of my top, top top five of all time called Paris, Texas. Okay. The Wim Wenders film uh, written by Sam Shepard. You know, a German comes and makes a movie about the American West from a great cowboy playwright uh, starring Harry Dean Stanton, one of mm-hmm. the greatest films ever made, in my, you know, in my humble opinion. And what I like about that film and what I see as a parallel with Last Black Man is that there's a central mystery about the the main character that pulls you through the film. And because you're invested in that mystery, they are allowed to be a little bit more cryptic and a little bit more artistic and a little bit more expressionistic in their approach. Mm. When you earn the, the audience's interest... You can t- go the, take them on a more exciting ride. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if you're just like doing bottom of the barrel type stuff, then you got to spoon feed them your plot. Right. But when I care about this character and I'm intrigued by them, and there's something I don't, I don't have all the pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. I'm much more likely to go down whatever rabbit hole they want to go down uh, because I'm invested. And the idea of like, what is the truth of this house? You know, that's the mystery. Yeah. You know, what really, what relationship does this guy really have to this house? You know, is it really his granddad's? Did he really build it? Are we ever going to find out? Are we ever going to? And that's things we do. Yeah. And that's one of those things that in my head, I was like, we're probably never going to find out. Right. And that's one of those things I would have been fine with leaving ambiguous. Mm-hmm. But the way that they wrote the story, it needed to be told. And I think that they did the right decision for their movie. Right. And, uh, but yeah, no, no, I, Paris, Texas opens with a guy walking out of the desert and he, he's a mute mm. and we have no idea how he got there he's in a suit he's a white man on the border of mexico and we're like what is this guy why can't he talk where'd he come from and slowly he gains back his speech and he meets up with his brother and only slowly piece after piece do we start learning the truth of this man's situation and and why he was in the desert and what he was doing there and what he wants and what he's after and then what another great thing about the film Another parallel is that not to ruin it for anybody, I guess we could, we're okay with spoilers on this show, right? Spoilers happen on this show. So the there's a warning. Yeah, there's a warning. <laughs> uh, and and the, the main character of Last Black Man leaves his best friend, leaves the only family he has really, abandons them in, mm-hmm. a, in a controversial move to leave abstractly somewhere, right? Yeah. He's roboing away in a brilliant, beautiful yeah. shot. But yeah. where to? Are you going to Alcatraz? You know, yeah. You're going to go get some saltwater taffy? There's no, there's no literal piece that we need. That's not what the story is saying exactly. to us. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then in Paris, Texas, the character makes a decision that is not the decision we would necessarily make. In a super fast nutshell, the main character of Paris, Texas is dating a much younger woman He's extremely jealous of her. He begins to abuse her. She runs away with their son, or she runs away, and he gets crazy and walks, goes to Mexico and never comes back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he finally does come back, and he has a young son with this woman that's now being taken care of by their much more stable family, uh, his brother and his wife. And what he basically does is he abducts his own son 
willingly. The boy wants to go along, but not smartly. This is a little seven-year-old kid who can't make a decision for himself. So he's like, yeah, I want to go see find mommy. Right. So he takes him on the road to go find the mom who's working as a sex worker. And Harry Dean Stanton leaves the son with his mother and then abandons them again because he knows that he can't actually make that life work. He knows that they're not destined to be together. But he believes above everything that his, the, the son needs to be with his mother. Mm. And he lives with the guilt of separating that, that part of the family unit. And you sit there, and if you think about the film logically, you're like, you took this kid away from a, from a safe home. Right. A mother, a father that loves them, that took him in as their, as their own. And you did that to go bring it to a young woman who's barely naked and on her own as a sex worker. And so the movie almost is heightened to a fairy tale. Right. It's not about reality. You know, Paris, Texas is almost like a, it's like a cautionary tale about behavior and about family and about loss and about sacrifice. Mm. And those are really big themes that are better executed in the framework of almost like a fairy tale. Right. And there's a part of Last Black Man that's almost like a fairy tale. Yeah. It doesn't really matter where the main character is rowing to. Yeah. You know, that he, he just has to find his own way. Yeah. And, uh, and the, all the, the shackles of reality no longer matter in a story of those larger, more profound themes. And so I think that's, they're very similar, actually. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were directly influenced. Yeah. Uh, I think they're certainly indirectly influenced, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of their favorite movies. I feel like that fairy tale or like magical realism or whatever, uh, like feeling is something that's going to permeate most of our puzzle pieces. It seems mm. like, you know, it's like just such a major thing about what the movie is like yeah. to its DNA or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's funny. What's harder about Paris, Texas though, is that it never, it only, it plays it straight. It plays it, it plays it straighter than last black man. If you look at it at face value, there's nothing unrealistic about, except I mean, again, I guess like, I, I guess the only thing is that the guy walks out of the desert, but mm. that's still possible. You know, sure. he, he walks out of the desert like a biblical figure, but that's probably the only more surrealistic edge to it. And even yeah. that is played super straight. Yeah. The cinematography is like this beautiful, picturesque, but bare bones, straightforward type stuff. Yeah. So what's interesting about Paris, Texas is, and why it's particularly challenging is that it's, it's so grounded yeah it's it's more it's more grounded than the last black man to where mm. that, that has more of these creative flourishes that kind of help you accept an ending like it has yeah to where the ending of paris texas is so challenging and so like seemingly realistic yeah that it, it really works on you and we have to stand back from it and go this is a fable yeah this is not a you know a realistic film this is a fable and you have to find that to where I think Blast Black Man does a good job of of giving you those breadcrumbs. Yeah, yeah. They're just different films. Neither of them do it wrong or right. It's just whatever's appropriate for that particular film. And I think there's definitely more breadcrumbs with Last Black Man. I'd be really interested to hear uh, if if Joe Talbot um, was a fan of that. Yeah, it seems like he probably him. probably would be. If he ha if he hasn't seen it or he isn't a fan, have him watch it. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> just because it's a great movie, but yeah. I think he'll connect to it. So uh, for my next puzzle piece, I've uh, got more, a, a little bit of magical realism, but also, so I think that this movie, it, it's a combination of, in a very, very real way, capturing San Francisco, while also capturing this, this magical version of San Francisco. Okay. And this isn't a movie, but a television show, Atlanta. Mm, um, yeah. I feel it also does that kind of thing where it's like you're getting the real Atlanta and then you're getting this, this just 
just fantastical version of, of Atlanta, you <laughs> yeah. know, and, and you're getting, get, getting heightened versions of all the things that make Atlanta the city that it is and it, it, the uniqueness of that city and just raising them all up a little bit, yeah. but sprinkled into a very real portrayal of the city. Sure. And, uh, you know, also just an incredible show, which by the way, was just picked up for two more seasons. So that's hey, awesome. all right. That is, you know, it is a great show. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Uh, that, you know, as much as I'd like to, but I've seen a lot, I've seen some of it and it's quite good. Yeah. Really good. But yeah, no, I agree. And I think that one of the key things is that the name of the show is Atlanta. Uh-huh. When you name something like a, like a place like that, you know yeah. I mean? It's kind of like, it reminds me of the movie Lincoln where like, it's only about that small portion of his life. Right. But they chose that because they felt it was representative of the full man. Right, right. I remember reading some like IMDb comments, which is always the worst thing you could ever do sure. for anything. Uh, but it was like, this isn't Lincoln's life. This is like two weeks of his life. Like, they're like freaking out. I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, could you not understand what they were going for? Like, they just wanted a traditional biopic. Like, yeah. it blew my mind. You know what I mean? I was like, just, just go watch Bohemian Rhapsody and leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> um, and listen, I'm, you know, you know me. I'm not like the, I'm not the biggest Spielberg apologist in the world. I, you know, I think sure. it's terrible most of the time. But Lincoln blew my mind. I right. mean, it's a phenomenal movie. But anyway, so that's the thing. That's kind of an artistic choice where a small fraction is representative of the whole. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, this is not a puzzle piece, but and I'll just spend a second on it, but it reminds me of Synecdoche, New York, uh-huh. because the word Synecdoche really means that a small part is representative of the whole, or the whole is representative of a small part. Yeah. And so, of course, it's a play on words for the real city uh, in, in New York. Uh, and so it's kind of a genius... Uh, name in addition to being a genius in a lot of other ways yeah but um i think last black man and the show like atlanta is about that it's like these individuals are representative of an idea they're representative of a bigger thing and i and that's where i think last black man is actually quote unquote about san francisco sure exactly you know it's it's about this place yeah it has all the nice little juicy details like i know this has been talked about the most because it's like shocking in a way, but there's like the naked scene, the guy who walks to the, up to the bus stop and he's totally naked and they yeah. just don't you know pay attention to that. And it's a, one of those things that again, artistic flourish, but it really works because that's San Francisco. Right. I, I have a really funny story and it's not funny. It's sad, but mm. it also made me laugh. So that's like a, it should be a, it should be a movie by a 24. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so I was in San Francisco and I was walking down near the wharf and there was a homeless guy with a plant, like a potted plant, and it was in uh, a baby stroller. Mm. And uh, he was kind of, you know, very dirty. You know, he looked like he'd been homeless for a long time, was not doing well. And and that's what's sad about it. And there's he's, there's all these people, all these tourists standing around in a circle, like a, like a almost a full circle around this guy. Mm. And as I'm walking by, some guy goes, why do you have a plant in a baby carriage? Mm. And in a really surprising moment of reality, the guy, the homeless guy goes, I don't know, man. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's amazing. That's an amazing moment. Good answer. This guy doesn't fucking know what's going on. And yeah. he, there was like, you know, he's probably mentally ill, handicapped, in need of help in some way, shape, or form. Uh-huh. And he's being looked at like an animal in a cage or like he's an attraction. And it is admittedly weird, you know, yeah. and we all, we're all curious. We all want to see the head rolling down the street. I understand that side of it too. Sure. But for him just to have that, all of that artifice, artifice fall off, he's like, I don't know. 
Yeah. I don't know why I have I have it. It it was kind of profound. Yeah. And uh, I wish this film last last Black Man was being made because I would have wrote written to them and said put that in there. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it would have actually fit beautifully. I got a character for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if they would have listened, but that's a gem. I don't know why I, I love have it. this. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, what do you got for your next puzzle piece? Hmm. So the next one. I'm going to mention two movies because uh, I think they're specifically about it, uh, similar, but uh, about a filmmaker named Charles Burnett. And the films are Killer of Sheep and To Sleep with Anger. And uh, To Sleep with Anger actually stars Danny Glover, who has a really wonderful turn in The Last Black Man oh, yeah. in San Francisco. Uh, such a role of humility. Yeah. You know, a, a minor role, but a poignant one, a powerful one, playing yeah. the blind grandfather of um the one of the other main characters in the film and uh just yeah probably got the, you know part of the reason the film probably got made you know as my as i guess plan b really saved the day on this film sure but uh but i think danny glover brought such a um a class to it and a prestige to it because he's just such a great actor sure especially now because he's taken on these smaller movies you know and he's doing some really great work he has been doing a lot lately yeah he's great he's great and uh, the thing about Charles Burnett is that he is one of the real, true, independent black filmmakers. Killer of Sheep uh, was like a student film that he used all this copyrighted music, and it never got proper distribution because they couldn't afford the soundtrack. But it became like bootlegged, and it just came, went around and around and got him work, and he started a film career. And then only years later was it actually like released and distributed when I believe just like a an art society art grant or something along those lines put the money up to uh to actually get the rights to the soundtrack mm. and it's about a, t- a little place in los angeles uh and the main character stan is a slaughterhouse employee and he just lives this kind of dismal life in this and he and he just ponders the reality of his life ever getting better mm. and it kind of has this bleakness about it it's this you know lo-fi you know black and white shot on probably 16 millimeter film yeah uh but it has a lot in common about about being uh, about a place and a time, being being uh, about a feeling and a people confronting uh, their their disadvantages uh, that that are citywide, statewide, countrywide. You know, all of that kind of comes in it. And uh, there's a fire to Charles Burnett uh, and a, a, a boldness to him that I think this film shares. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very poetic. They're very beautiful. Uh, but in their more harsh depictions of reality. So I think that Charles Burnett's films, those two in particular, probably had a great influence. Interesting. Yeah, I I don't actually, I'm not familiar with either of those movies. They're great. Yeah. Both great. Sounds like it. I think To Sleep With Anger was actually just re-released by Criterion. Oh, really? So it made it a little bit more available. I bought uh, Killer of Sheep long time ago when it was first released on DVD that they re- finally released it from some small distribution company. So I picked up a copy because I had only seen it in theaters. Like they would tour it around and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'd seen it once before in Los Angeles and I became an immediate fan and was blown away by it. It's kind of, a, you know, it's, it's rough, around the, uh, rough around the edges. You know, mm-hmm. but it's not like a particularly masterfully crafted film the way that Last Black Man is for a debut. Yeah. I and mean, that's the thing is, I'm not, sh- I'm not I don't know much about the filmmakers. Um, I know it's their first major feature film, but I'm, I, I assume that the cinematographer is a veteran. Right. The cinematography was so brilliant that there, there had to be some type of you know, experience or wisdom behind it, is my guess. You I, would think, I, yeah. I could totally be wrong. <laughs> I could totally be wrong. But I think that for a first time out, 
they must have had some really wonderful help. Yeah. Which excites me because for my first feature film that I'm currently developing, I have these heavyweight legends doing the movie. Um, yeah. Jim Planet as a gaffer, you know, E.T. and Young Frankenstein and Fisher King and, and then um, Douglas Milsom, Full Metal Jacket and Lonesome Dove. I mean, these are people that, that I admire, that I that I am ready to fuck up around yeah. because they're 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 a really nice <laughs> safety net. Yeah, yeah. And they can help me uh, channel my my voice and channel my vision into their experience for sure. So when I looked at this movie, I thought these guys must be melting with passion and excitement, and they must have some pro, yeah. like keeping them like you know getting this thing made. <laughs> I like again, I could be totally wrong, but that was just my impression of it. Right on. Well, uh, I'm going to go with my next puzzle piece. And this is one I just thought of this morning, actually. And I, there's probably a better version of this puzzle piece. So let me just put that right out there, right up front. Um, but I was thinking about the fact that uh, Jimmy Fails, the actor who plays Jimmy, also uh, wrote this based yeah. on his own life. And uh, it just being this this kind of weird heightened version of his own life, I thought of Larry David and Curb <laughs> okay. Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. I mean, he he's surrounded by all these you know just like kind of colorful characters and and uh, and you know it is a, a version of of what he you know what he goes through you know or what he's gone through what his life has been, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm not quite sure how much of it is based on his life. So I mean, it, it might really not really be that much, but from what I understand. It's you know yeah. he really did have this house that um, you know meant so much to him and whatnot and and so uh, just that that you know using your own life and then kind of just heightening it you yeah. know it just That's a great one. made me think of that yeah I I I don't know if I misread this or if I'm misremembering but is the house the real house I think it is I think it is too I think I did hear that which I mean if I had that house I would fight for it too seriously right. <laughs> I would squat in it and howl, howl all night in it, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. I'd paint the windowsill. I would do whatever. Yeah, that's a beautiful house. Would you pick the kitchen to sleep in? No. 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 <laughs> or it was a dining room, actually. A dining room. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would definitely yell to claim my ownership. Nice. I would scream yeah. about it, you know? Yeah. I'd be naked a lot more than the characters were. That's in true. This, in this film. I could vouch for that. Yeah, I'd be nude almost <laughs> instantaneously. Um, before the other family moved out. I mean, that's, <laughs> that'd, that'd be a key motivating factor for them to leave would be uh-huh. my nude body. So you're basically all the characters wrapped in one in this movie. Yes. So, yeah. That's one of the reasons I connect with it is that I'm just all of them. But with less clothes. Yes. Um, now, so, now, I mean, it's a beautiful movie. And the house is a character almost the same way that the city is. Mm-hmm. You know, again, these all play such a part in it. That's why another one of the reasons why the beautiful cinematography uh works so well and it isn't kind of showy mm-hmm. uh is that the how it's featuring the house so wonderfully. Yeah. And it's letting the it's like, you know, to me it reminded me of like John Ford shooting Monument Valley in The Searchers. Mm. It's like those it was supposed to take place in Texas and they shot in Arizona and they look nothing alike. I mean, it's the the unreality of the searchers is astounding that they used Monument Valley for like rural Texas, mm. uh, but it doesn't matter. You know that's because what we remember are those that, those those shots, and so many of those shots were done in medium or wide while John Wayne's walking around because that's the the, the scenery is is a character, right? And so I feel like uh, you know that uh, last black man wisely was artful in its cinematography because oh, yeah. it, it sucked you into the environment. Absolutely. Those wide shots of him skateboarding down the hill. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm I just, know. I mean, that's going to stick with us. I, I love think. that the, the skateboarding is making such a comeback. It's like, you know, 
you know, we had we have, we had Spike Jones who was mm-hmm. doing music videos and stuff, and was a skateboarder. And then we get some of the best films of last century and so far this century. And now we have these skateboard kids from San Francisco knocking it out of the park with the best movie of the year. Serious. I love it. Seriously, makes me feel good because my when I when I was a kid, I was a skateboarder. I yeah. never had the body for it. I think I've landed three ollies in my entire life, <laughs> and I then I once br- I broke my collarbone twice going down my own driveway. So that gives you an idea of how uh, how good of a skateboarder I was. But I could actually ride really well. I was really coordinated and just riding. Could never yeah. do tricks. And uh, so I wanted to make a film. I wanted to make a sketch comedy, kind of inspired by like Kids in the Hall. And none of my friends wanted to do it. They were mm. all skateboard kids. Yeah. So they convinced me to just make a skate video. Mm. And so that was like my first film on a, like on an old you know cassette uh, camcorder. Yeah. And uh, I squeezed in little weird skits and stuff. But for the most part, it was a skate video. So it's kind of cool. It made me feel like, okay, well, my, my roots aren't that far from these guys either. Like I was watching Igmar Bergman as a little kid in 2001 A Space Odyssey, but then I'd go out and skateboard. So I think that kind of weird clash of styles and cultures uh is kind of where i come from as well so it was it was like a really that was cool that was cool to see yeah right on uh what do you got for your next puzzle piece i'm gonna say uh, i'm I'm gonna do a non-movie okay and i'm gonna say the work of james baldwin uh james baldwin is pretty hot right now Mm -hmm. because another thing like like the director of moonlight barry jenkins uh he did uh if bill street could talk yeah and I think I noticed the second time I saw Last Black Man is there's a small picture of James Baldwin uh, in the house of the second character. And um, the, the playwright aspect of it and the literary aspect of it, but they, they talk about uh, Langston Hughes. They talk about Charles Dickens, uh, but, you know, how the characters are Philistines. I particularly liked that, uh, that insult uh, about the, <laughs> the family that moved out before or moved out of that house. And how they left behind this great literature. So mm. I feel like James Baldwin and permeates this film. It, he has a. I'm a big fan of Bal- James Baldwin. You know, Another Country and Giovanni's Room, and I've read a, a lot of his work. And uh, there's always this quiet beauty, this this very profound and intense voice, uh, and and it, I can feel the filmmakers kind of channeling that in this. Yeah, I think Jimmy Fails himself is such a powerful performer and that's his first major performance and i think that he really carries it well yeah um and there's i think james baldwin just had the soul of baldwin is like all over this thing yeah so really nice right on i like it absolutely uh i and yeah i, I think you know coming you, you mentioned moonlight and then you know also coming off of uh barry jenkins other film i mean obviously he's in the in the culture right now yeah he's he's everything. in vogue yeah which is great you know it's like james baldwin uh, one of course, this is not the first time this has happened to an African American or, or black artist where they have done work as good or better of any substantial white artist, and they just are not as mainstream. Mm-hmm. And they're just buried. Absolutely. And I, you know, I found him. You know, when I was young, I was really, you know, still am really into Lou Reed, and it's such a huge honor, you know, for me to get to know Lou a little bit before he passed away, and he because he was just like a major life changing force for me. Yeah. And. uh and but he led me into William S. Burroughs. He led me, which then got me into the Beats, and that got me into that era of nineteen sixties Americana writing. And then I found James Baldwin, and uh, and that was you know it's like what's great about being um, kind of like someone showing you something cool is that it opens up this rabbit hole of things 
that you find. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you feel like you're part of this cool club. You know, you, you know, I think I mentioned that before in an earlier episode about like finding Tom Waits. Yeah. But it's like you feel like you're exclusively in this cool person club. And nothing can be further from the truth. As soon as you find out who Tom Waits is, you hear him in car commercials and stuff. You know, he's out there. These people are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But there's something about finding great art and finding something that's kind of been hidden or something old even. Yeah. You know, for nostalgic people like myself. That it's just more special. Yeah. So when I think about the the fingerprints of James Baldwin uh, over a movie like uh, over a movie as cool and fresh and now and I know these are all sound like super like with their hula hoops, uh, <laughs> but like this you know like when I think about Last Black Man, it's like now it's right this second it's pulsing it's it's you know it's important it's you know it's those things and yet you can still feel the influence of someone like James Baldwin. It's just nice. It's yeah. Just, it's just it it makes it feel as special as when I first picked up Giovanni's room. Right on. Uh, well, I only got one more. Okay. Uh, and this one's more of uh, like one of those buckets we sometimes do with like a few movies in one. Um, it's also more of like an anti-puzzle piece. It's kind of like, you know, where it's like the opposite of this. Like they looked at this and did something completely different. Um, but it's it's movies like like Friday, Boys in the Hood, and like like movies like that. These, yeah. hood, you know, hood movies are like the 90s. Um, I feel like the the crew that hangs out on the corner really plays with your expectations you know mm-hmm. they they know you've seen those movies right and they know that that in the back of your mind you're thinking you know is something like that is somebody gonna get shot is mm-hmm. you know but it never it never goes to that really i mean it's obviously somebody does but it's you know it doesn't go into violence or anything like it that. it subverts your expectation yeah, absolutely. dramatically absolutely the crying into jimmy's you know they they're about to square off yes and then he cries yes oh my god yeah it's fantastic. It's one again. It's one of those things that you know, in a lesser movie you'd yeah. roll your eyes. Yeah. But in a movie of this kind of gravity and power, it works. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it really really subverts your expectations, and I think I think it has that to play off of. You know, mm-hmm. it it really does. And and you know, those movies are are movies that we've all seen. You know what yeah. I mean? Growing up, and so I I think that I think that it works as a uh, like I said, like an anti puzzle piece almost. No, yeah, no, yeah, I agree. And it's funny this and this is kind of delicate territory because I'm speaking as an outsider. Sure, but you know, it's uh, you know, you listen to the the Kendrick Lamar album Damn, and mm. there was that song DNA, mm. and they use like a a clip from the news where it's like you know the, the you hear some white newscaster or something. Like, this is why I think that rap music is actually more dangerous for you know the, than you know than racism in America today. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit! Like someone went on television and said that. Right. Like you're like, and the, that's the thing is like the the way that they're so blatant with that kind of ignorance that they must think they're justified. You know, this isn't ignorance that they whisper to their friends. Right. This is stuff they're going to go on TV and and make a proclamation. Yeah. So you know that they're just like they're so deep in the ignorance that it's just they're far gone so far gone you know but like what's interesting is that so much of my experience with black culture has been through art you know Mm -hmm. i mean mean, that's i mean obviously the the only reason why we have art and culture in this country is because of black people (laughs) our our music (laughs) comes from field haulers and uh, that turns into blues and turns into jazz. And, you know, our Mozart is Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we, we, we had, we've had nothing. There's nothing yeah. uh, besides that. So we have, we owe everything to that, especially Absolutely. creatively. But, you know, I don't know a lot about growing up in the hood. I have no idea. Yeah. So Boys in the Hood was a revelation to me. Right. You know, again, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it's a gateway into ultimate understanding and empathy. Even though movies 
intrinsically are reductive, mm-hmm. right? Because you can only make a movie about these characters. And yeah. those characters are not representative of all black people in, in all the hoods, sure. in all the world. Yeah. And the art is, is always reductive. It's yeah. always going to be. I guess it's always about degrees of being reductive. Yeah. And so what was inter- interesting, particularly about Last Black Man, is that it really, with a lot of courage, I think, tackled the issue of not only toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. but how that is rampant within the African-American male community. Sure. Now, again, that's coming from an outsider. I don't mm-hmm. know the nuance of that. But yeah. I do know that, I guess, as far as I do know, it's more prevalent. Yeah. Now, of course, there's different shades of that. And there's bro, white bros that are just as monstrous. And mm. they're just, just as terrible. But, but the thing is, I feel like, you know, even this is going to sound super silly, but I'm just, I was watching Scrubs. And the, and Turk has a hard time telling his feelings to JD, his oldest and bestest friend. There's something almost like there's something. It's almost easier for a young African American person um, to hide within themselves and have this bravado mm. as a mask. Yeah. So where like I was just this dopey chubby white kid that was listening to Hall and Oates and have Lou Reed and David Bowie kissing on my binder and like people were like are you gay and I was like yep <laughs> and I I'm not I wasn't. And I just said it because I didn't care. There was no consequence. Right. You know, I was allowed to be artsy. I was allowed to wear a corduroy jacket like uh-huh. a fucking, you know, teacher at UC Santa Barbara with, you know, <laughs> when I was 14 years old. No one gave a shit. No one gave a shit. I could do that. I had that freedom. And I remember I have a wonderful friend named Terrell, who's a middle-aged African-American artist, great photographer. And I was telling him about all these films that he needs to see. And he's like, oh, I've never seen Casablanca. You know, if I was, was a kid and growing up in Texas in my African-American community and I told him I wanted to watch an old movie, I would have had my ass kicked. Right, right. There is something about the, like an anti-intellectual feeling that I think is also closely woven with toxic masculinity. Absolutely. You know, there's not a lot of like, you know, scholars within that community, white or black or Mexican or Chinese or whatever it is. Yeah. Know, those, aren't th- those aren't threads that often intermingle. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, again, just speaking from an outsider, I, I've seen that kind of toxic masculinity. And so much of it is about, I mean, you listen to a lot of the rap music and it's just about like, hey, I might have a Ferrari now, but I'm still tough. <laughs> you know, that's like a lot of the music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm successful, but I'm still hard. Yeah. You know, and so I feel like, you know, I've never thought about if people thought I was tough or not. It never even occurred to me. Right. I, you know, and so that's, again, that's and, speaking. And we didn't to, have to. No, that thing, that's speaking totally <laughs> from privilege. Yeah. No. You know, that's a survival mechanism. Yeah. Like my sweet friend who said he couldn't watch fucking Casablanca because <laughs> he was going to get his ass kicked. I was yeah. like, well, I'm, that's so foreign to me. And all I have is, is empathy and sadness. Yeah. Not that he needs my pity. He's doing just fine. Sure. He's a great artist. But that's the thing is it's, and it's, these are just layered complex subjects. Yeah. So when I actually found out that the director of the film was white, mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it blew my mind. Cause I was like, this is a black dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was excited because, like, all I want to do is see more black cinema. Yeah. And I, and I seek it out. I see seek out female cinema just to be exposed, just mm. to have a different palette. And one of the one things I'll touch on before we move on is that, like, I can't tell you how wonderful it is. And this is maybe sounding crazy as some white dude, but I really love seeing these beautiful black faces on in the big screen. Sure. Seeing, like, a, if Bill Street could talk, it was, what, 90 seven percent african-american we only had the one friendly jewish guy played by dave franco <laughs> yeah yeah let us all know that jews and blacks are cool yeah thankfully <laughs> or we get the we get the wise white canadian like brad pitt mm-hmm. and uh 
in a 12 years a slave because yeah. i was like the wise white dude who know? produced the movie uh, so yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly yeah uh, <laughs> he should stop taking those roles he's like they do what still is it raking with his you know funny beard no but um but yeah it's just you know when i found out that he's a white director i thought this guy has a lot of courage to yeah. go into those murky territories and uh and uh oh yeah i was to finish my thought in, in a nutshell that it's beautiful to see these people because i just don't see enough black people they don't yeah. they're not given enough substantial roles yeah and they're just a gorgeous different thing you know they're just different and that's part of what makes them beautiful and interesting to look at you yeah. know if bill street could talk has all these wonderful close-ups of these loving eyes and these loving people and i just don't you know i don't see that i yeah. see so many movies i've watched so many movies it is something different is so rewarding yeah. and the fact that it's also lifting this culture up and showing us something different is just all the more special absolutely so yeah it's just it's just great to see these big wonderful black faces on the screen before we move on to your final puzzle pieces because uh, that was my last one i just wanted to say uh, as a white guy before saying that last puzzle piece i definitely looked up whether or not it's okay <laughs> to say hood movies oh yeah, <laughs> what's was. the verdict yeah, yeah it seems to be a word so it seems to be a, a proper phrase so. okay <laughs> it's just short for neighborhood yeah right so right i don't know <laughs> i don't know what's right to say anymore i said big black beautiful face i don't even know if that's well come on that's got to be okay i think it's okay it's a compliment anyway. it is it's a total compliment yeah. so uh, what else do you got and then uh we'll, we'll wrap it up okay um so i'll go through them briefly sure uh one of the things i'd like to mention is um woody allen uh, kind of actually ex is an extension of uh, your Larry David in a way. I was almost going to go with Woody Allen instead of Larry David. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm I'm a I'm a big Woody fan. Mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know about his social standing. I don't know what happened. Sure. Uh, I'm not. I'm just talking about his films. You have yeah. to also you have to separate the artist from the man. I also like Louis Ferdinand Celine, and he was a Nazi sympathizer. So <laughs> there's just you know you can't like anybody. Yeah. You can't like anybody because all artists are just dog shit apparently. Yeah. You can't like Pablo Picasso. Nobody. Nothing. Yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, so I like Woody Allen movies. Mm -hmm. uh, and I and uh, I feel like Blue Jasmine in particular, again, on the superficial level that it's a, you know, it takes place in San Francisco. Uh -huh. But Woody has always made movies about the places as well. I mean, yes. he's famously makes movies about, um, you know, Manhattan, of course. But, you know, he's been in Spain now. He's been in France now. He's been in Italy now. And every time the story has something actually to do with that place. Mm. And I th feel like when he made Blue Jasmine, it had to do with San Francisco. Uh, and it's a very beautiful rendering of San Francisco. It's dreamy. It's, again, a little bit tweaked. Um, Woody, in particular, likes to shoot things very warm and composed. And, you know, so it's never really like a harsh sense of reality with him mm. customarily. But I could definitely see... Uh, I don't know if these guys are fans of Woody Allen in general. I can see the the kind of intellectual honesty in Last Black Man. I could see that. Be, I feel like Woody is a precursor for that. Yeah. You know, no one was writing intellectual romance movies. No one was writing intelligent comedies. You know, he came out and and with this. You know, now especially in his later films, they're so visually beautiful and they're so uh, confident and and competent in their craftsmanship. Yeah. Um, that I, I imagine they saw Blue Jasmine and saw their wonderful city on display. Right. You right. Know, and they went, wow, you know, this is a this is a beautiful place. Because sometimes when it's right in front of you, you know, you don't see it. So I don't sure. I'm just totally guessing, but maybe they, you know, they were bored with it and they want to leave somewhere maybe and they saw that film and they went, Oh wait, we're on a gold mine. He also deals with a little of that uh, magical realism. So. Always. Yeah. It always does. Yeah. Blue Jasmine is is harshly real about real things. Mm. You know, he made a movie called Magic in the Moonlight and it's totally a farce, you know, he yeah. he, can, he goes there. The Blue Jasmine is really 
brutal. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of a rehash of uh, Streetcar Named Desire, but with a kind of great woody twist. Mm -hmm. But San Francisco is so on display in that film that if, if they didn't if they didn't particularly love that movie for any reason, I bet you they were just happy that right. San Francisco was featured in such a beautiful, warm way. Seeing their city. Yeah. And I can yeah. see, that's, you know, when I see things, you know, like when something horrible happens in Ohio, which happens all the time, and yeah. you're like, oh, man, why, you know, why did that happen in my state? Yeah. Which is yeah, so yeah. stupid. You know, why does it happen anywhere? You know, right. I, mean, I have no particular attach, attachment to Ohio anymore. You know, it doesn't sure. mean anything to me. But for some reason, you have those thoughts. Yeah, You yeah. get very protective of where you are, where you're from anyway. And uh, so, yeah, I, I feel like, I, I mean, I sense Woody all over the movie. Yeah, and that's the thing is that that might be subliminal because the guy's made a movie every year for 50 years and he's <laughs> in our culture. If you're a film person, he's in the culture. Sure. And what's funny about Wardy too is that he's so around that I think he's underappreciated as an artist. Mm. You know, people write him off yeah, it's like, oh, he's just, you know, what are you doing? Is what do you think? He's making another Woody Allen movie. And there's a, tr a shred of truth to that. And yeah. He does repeat himself. But he finds a way to reinvent it in my eyes. And I don't, I don't want to be a Woody apologist, but I'd rather see a bad Woody Allen movie than most other things right, right. You know, out there. And so, uh, you know, consciously or not, I feel like Last Black Man owes a lot to the more mature, nuanced, beautiful, sentimental movies about a town. Because Woody has mastered that. Absolutely. So yeah, Blue Jasmine in particular, but all Woody. Then uh, I'm going to say Ghost World. I was thinking about that. Yeah? As far as like the buddy aspect, I was thinking like that's one a of A lot, the... I think. Yeah, and I'd like to hear what other ways, but that was the, <laughs> the, the way that I was almost thinking about using it as a puzzle piece um, because I feel like as far as the friendship is concerned, that's kind of the closest friendship I, I was thinking of. Yeah, the, the thing is they just, it's kind of hard to put into words is that they just kind of feel the same. Like how they're shot, the music... How they're, you know, the, the light choices, the like center characters, the buddy aspect of it, the kind of dry comedy, the layers of surrealism, they all just kind of, it all kind of fits. And then Thurber Birch popped up. Sure. And I was <laughs> like, holy shit. Because yeah. I mean, I was, I was thinking about Ghost World as I was watching it the first time. And then she has her cameo. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's something about Ghost World. It is, I mean, T Terry Zwagoff is a wonderful filmmaker. He doesn't make enough movies. I'm mm. a huge fan of Crumb and. Yeah. You know, I watch that like once a year with my brother. Like we have a weird crumb thing. Everyone, um, check out the crumb episode of Awesome Movie Year that just came out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I gave you an opportunity to <laughs> plug something. There you go. It's all I'm good for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's kind of this. Like I watched, I've watched Ghost World a lot. I have a great little story about that. I basically, I went to, I, I found out that you could rent movies for free from the library when mm. I was young. Yeah, that was like a loophole. Yeah, because I was spending a lot of my parents' money as a kid, <laughs> and they would like. It was every day. It was like, can I go to the block? Can I go to Blockbuster? Can I go to Hollywood Video? And like sometimes they said yes, most of the time they said no, and I was really getting tired of it. So I found out that you can go to the library and rent movies. And so I started renting every movie I could possibly get from the yeah. library, and I got Ghost World. I just found it, and I rented it, and I got it. And I watched it, and I was floored by it. But I only experienced it on its surface, and there's so much more there. Yeah. You know, the pants on the, on the road. That's an expressionistic, funny thing. Uh, you know, uh, um, he's, you know the, uh, Seymour, the... Uh, character by steve buscemi ends up wearing those jeans and then yeah. they're gone off the sidewalk or the the, <laughs> the out of you know the bus that's out of uh out of commission and the guy sits on the bus he's always waiting for it and the bus finally comes these are all these big wonderful surrealistic gestures oh, i gotta watch that again it's been uh, a while yeah, yeah. it's funny because it's at, it says the bus says not in service on mm. the bench but the guy sits in the center of it and it just says notice mm. <laughs> it's it's layered man it's layered um, it's a really great film and there's something about this seeming 
normality of the movie. Like I like what I like about Ghost World is kind of like about punks, right? It's about like this punky subculture yeah. to where uh, Last Black Man's about this skater culture. Yeah. Um, never really about it, but just that's who they are. Right. You know, that's kind of, that's who they're, that's how they're being represented. And so it's about these kind of like normal things that you don't necessarily associate with poetic filmmaking. Mm. And yet we kind of dig in and find something more abstract or more uh, poetic about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's just kind of a, a, a feeling about those movies that are, are similar and that the friends don't end up together. Yeah. And you know, that, that's another thing I felt was similar, but yeah, again, I don't know if it's conscious or not, but I could definitely see a lot of parallels between ghost world and this. Absolutely. Yeah. I almost had it on my list. There you go. <laughs> it's a great film. I love ghost world. Yeah. And I think there's only one more, which is George Washington. Okay. Uh, George Washington is uh, a great little movie. Uh, very low budget was one of those lightning in a bottle movies. I think that's part of the reason why it's connected to it in my eyes is that, you know, it has every reason not to succeed and because it has such a little budget and not that much fanfare. And yet it has a lot of powerful elements to it that make it rise to the top. Mm -hmm. Um, it's about, it's kind of, you know, it's again, it's kind of goes back to that Terrence Malicky thing. I think, uh, George Washington owes a lot to the Terrence Malick, uh, floaty, ethereal, um, kind of sparse story, uh, poetic, voiceovery vibe and not that uh, last black man has all of those things but they, they just share certain things about it and it's about um again about more about the people in the place than like a concrete plot mm-hmm. so i think that has that a lot to do and mo- kind of a modern vibe um with that uh, terry malick approach and i think that last black man kind of has that feel too so those are all of them that's are all my puzzle pieces awesome well let's do the finished puzzle and then we'll get in any closing thoughts okay so, for The Last Black Man in San Francisco, we've got Moonlight, Blind Spotting, The Royal Tenenbaums, The Florida Project, Do the Right Thing, Paris, Texas, Atlanta, Killer of Sheep, To Sleep with Anger, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Work of James Baldwin, Hood movies like Friday, Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, Woody Allen movies like Blue Jasmine, Ghost World, and George Washington. What do you That's... got for... Uh... It's a good puzzle. It's a great, great I love puzzle. all of those things so much. How could I not love The Last Black Man in San Francisco? Seriously. It's so true. You know, I, I'm going to actually go first with closing thoughts here, because one, one other thing I wanted to mention, and you, you were kind of like touching on it a little bit when talking about some of the like toxic masculinity themes and stuff mm-hmm. like that in the movie, but one of the things I found so interesting about this movie is how I, you really don't know for practically the whole runtime really is what exactly the relation is between these two guys, the two main characters, whether or not they're friends or even lovers possibly, Mm -hmm. or like, I mean, you know, relatives or whatever. I just, I just thought that was so interesting. And, um, you know, especially in that, you know, that community, you know, you you don't really see that kind of a friendship, you know, displayed. And it's like such a, such a close friendship. And so, uh, I don't know, just, just so unique in film. I haven't really seen anything like that before. Yeah. And the black artist mm. is an under, is an undershown character. We have the hip hop artist. Sure. You know, we have, that's big, but we don't have the James Baldwin figure. Yeah. You know, we really don't have that very often. And as far as I'm concerned, every person, no matter what skin color you are, you're allowed to like whatever you want to like. Sure. Sure. And to have a playwright, you know, to have someone play that role, I think. And that's the thing is like, I've heard another thing, not not to harp on my friend Terrell, but he mentioned that like, if you got into that stuff, not only were you looked down upon for X, Y, Z reason, 
but it was also because you were assuming the white culture. Right, right. You were becoming, you know, the Uncle Tom yeah. thing. Yeah. Which is such a weird, like, I, I, how do you navigate that? Like, yeah. I, I just can't imagine that navigating that kind of, like, judgment. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, like, just because you read a book, even if it's written by a black man, that it's, like, somehow that he's sold out to the white man. All, right. And it's scary. I mean, I can't even imagine how frustrating that is. Bizarre. And, yeah, how just back, you know, just scary that is. Yeah, yeah. But... When I look at those characters in Last Black Man, I do not see white people. I do not see you know whiteified black characters. There's yeah. that one really subtle but wonderful part when he answers the door in his normal clothing, and his dad sees him, and he's like, "What are you doing dressed like a white boy?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And then like, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is that's was something we didn't even talk about. This movie keeps opening itself up. There's layer after layer after layer of this wonderful movie. But like, yeah, he changes his outfit and puts yeah. on different glasses to look more black. Yeah. Now, I don't know what the filmmakers think. I don't know if skateboarding is considered more white than black. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm coming from a total place of privilege that I don't have to think about those things, that I don't really know the nuance of those things. I don't know what's white and what isn't. Right. You know, I have a very simplistic view of, quote unquote, what's black. You know what I mean? And, sure. I, and I want a nuance. I want that to be more nuanced. And so, but as of just, a, as, totally as a subjective viewer, when I look at those characters, I saw them in the tradition of a baldwin i I saw them in the tradition of a langston hughes Mm. and these are people that um are founders of american art not american white art not american black art you know we we, i mean white people stole rock and roll from the, the black man and so like this is all intertwined the more we try to separate things, the more we realize how many connective pieces of tissue there are, how many strings are actually attached, because we've, it's all been morphed into one. Yeah. But for never for a second did I really did it dawn on me, and this may be different for an African American audience member. But when I walked with those characters, I wasn't like, man, they're acting white. Right. You know, it only hit me when that the dad was like, "Why well, you dress like a white boy?" Yeah. And I was like, "Holy <laughs> shit!" Like it really it kind of struck me. Right. Because they just throw it away. You know, there's not like a big subplot about that. Right. And just to kind of touch on what you were saying. This movie is confident enough to not give us all the details. Yeah. That's the thing is this movie would be challenging maybe to the average average moviegoer because they're accustomed to every piece of information being given to them on sure. a silver platter. Yeah, yeah. And this movie and a lot of other movies, as and now we're getting to this new era of indie, is that we're more confident taking a risk. Yeah. Making the and that's why that the that's why the Paris, Texas analogy or comparison is good, because that movie hooked us with a mystery. Mm-hmm. And it, and it didn't give us all that information. And that's what this film did. And that's becoming more... People are realizing that if you can earn a good mystery, that you can take people anywhere. That's interesting. And you don't need yeah. all those, you know, okay, this is what this is, and this is what their relationship is. is what's the, Is that even about that? Are we wasting crucial minutes of this movie to, yeah. to explain something with, you know, poor, clunky exposition? And so, yeah, I mean, it's these, this is a movie made by confident people that yeah. you would think is, you know, their fifth... 10th 15th movie right right but they showed up ready to play they showed up with a a stellar uh debut and i was floored i was really floored by it from the get-go and then even more so after seeing it again and uh it's 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 rare the rare movie for me well it's gonna be on vod when this goes up but i noticed it's still actually at like one or two theaters so who knows maybe you could still see it in the theater go see it i'm I'm contemplating I, i i'm always I feel bad because I want to go see other things, but yeah. I want to go back and see it again. Yeah, I, I this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are the two <laughs> that are out in theaters that I've seen already that I'd love to try to catch one more time, so well, see what yeah, happens. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, there's a couple movies. Every now and again, there's a movie that comes out. It's usually like one movie a year. Yeah. 
that I really get hooked on. Mm. You know, a couple of years ago, it was Good Time with mm. Robert Pattinson. That was yeah, like the yeah. movie of the year for me. Yeah. You know, before that, it was, you know, 127 hours. You know, that was a mm. movie that I was like, oh my God, this is, people need to see this. And I take people to go see it. And I just yeah. bring them again. I bring again and again and again. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, this is one of those movies that anyone that, was, will, that will go with me, I'm going to take them. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I think that does. I'm glad we got to do this episode. Very, very happy uh, we got to do it. And I'm glad you loved the movie so much. Um, what do you, uh, oh, what have you seen lately that you'd like to recommend? Okay. Uh, so, amazingly, I'm shocked to say this, mm-hmm. but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, I, I'm not the biggest uh, Tarantino fan. Mm-hmm. I think he's, you know, does a lot of stupid shit. But, man, that's a pretty good movie. I have problems with it. It's not perfect. But it's the most uh, nuanced movie he's ever made. It's the most about things that he's ever made. It's not a revenge story only. There's, mm-hmm. It's about other actual things. Yeah. I think it's his most mature and beautiful and funny little movie. And it's different. That's the thing is, like, I compared... I, to me, he's like if Wolfgang Puck only made mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's usually like to me yeah you know, he's a really talented guy but really fucking this, good mac and cheese yeah but... it's good mac and cheese but it's just fucking mac and cheese <laughs> right. it's like a it's like one level of what he could actually do mm-hmm. and it's boring you know i mean i can only eat so much good mac and cheese until i want to throw up i want something different i like pizza i don't want to eat pizza every night yeah and that's what this guy does for me yeah. and then i'm watching this movie and i'm like oh my god i don't know what to expect right. and that's the right. first time maybe ever in his career that i felt that way i'll say that actually made it hard to rank when we did our ranking special yeah. um because it's like where does that fall in a career that it, I mean, this is the most different thing he's done yeah. Like, yeah listen i like pulp fiction and everything that's a great movie yeah. and everything but the only real movie that ever actually spoke to me that connected that i connected with was jackie brown mm. jackie brown is a masterpiece yeah. and the, the, i don't care what quentin tarantino does he can you know rewrite american slavery mm. and the holocaust and things <laughs> yeah. that i think are disgusting and idiotic and like not earned at all mm. but he made jackie brown yeah. so that's okay so he's great you know yeah. he's a great filmmaker i know that he has it in him yeah and to me i feel like uh once upon a time in hollywood is is as, i mean not as good as jackie brown but is best since jackie brown yeah and i don't, I don't think it, he'll ever eclipse jackie brown it's just a great 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 movie but uh that was really good um because Last Black Man is still in theaters, obviously that's an obvious one doing this podcast, but go see it for the love of God. Yes. Um, the Farewell, I'm actually really taken with. I Beautiful. think it was a wonderful movie. Something different for A24, which is like, whoo, okay, they're doing different stuff as well. Um, that's it for now. That works. Yeah, those are the ones. Absolutely. Well, uh, what do you got to plug? Oh, you know, same old shit. So I'm making a uh, feature film, of course, with the support of uh, the Kubrick family which is such a deep honor. Mrs. Kubrick, Mrs. Christiane Kubrick, Stanley's widow, has given me her original paintings uh, that were featured in Eyes Wide Shut, A Clockwork Orange, to be in my film. It's such an immense honor. So we're currently developing that movie and getting it out there and attaching talent and trying to find financing. So that's extremely exciting. I developed, uh, created a TV show called The Idiot with a dear friend of mine named Dylan Gallagher, who's one of the writers on Marvel and Netflix's Daredevil. So we've been pushing that and attaching wonderful talent. We just got Royce Johnson, the fantastic actor that had a reoccurring character, uh, Detective Mahoney on The Punisher and Daredevil and Jessica Jones. And we got the great Richard Portnow of The Sopranos and a bunch of million, million things that guy was in. So The Idiot and MetaMX are my major things right now. They're probably still a long ways away. You know, we're getting the pieces together, putting mm-hmm. our puzzle pieces together. Wink, nice. wink. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, but those are the big ones. 
And I'm also just trying to always be creative and see movies and put out my thoughts and feelings on my social media pages about those things and share my love of movies. So that's why, again, I appreciate you having me on and let me pontificate. Absolutely. Well, hey, this is great. And uh, let's not wait so long before the next time. Huh? I, know, I wanted to give your viewers or your listeners a break a little. I was okay. like, you know, my special brand of getting up on my soapbox. I was like, they need a, they need a sec. Yeah. You <laughs> take, take a minute. Uh, but no, th- thank you again. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm Josh Bell. I'm Jason Harris. Hey, Josh, we're friends in real life, but we're also co-hosts on this new podcast called Awesome Movie Year, where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies and do a deep dive looking at movies, including the best picture winner, the biggest movie at the box office, future cult classics, and more. Including the biggest flop. And this season, we're doing 1994. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. That could be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We're all over the web as well. at Awesome Movie Year on all the socials and awesome moviejear.com so please like us subscribe and uh if you do like us give us a five-star rating because we love you all right i hope you enjoyed that conversation with chris cranock about the last black man in san francisco if you haven't seen the movie yet please do seek it out it's out now on vod Uh, it'll be out on blu-ray this month as well and it is absolutely something worth checking out i'm hoping to watch it again soon actually um But yeah, great movie, and uh, that was a fun conversation. (laughs) A long one. So uh, that does it for today. I want to remind you, as always, to please subscribe to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. And you can follow us on social media, at PiecingPod. You can join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And if you're enjoying the show... We would love it if you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps with getting the show seen, and uh, we've been getting more info lately on on how we're doing in the podcast charts. And it's you know it's great to see it go up in the charts, and you know all those ways that you know we're going to keep doing this thing regardless. But we'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to see uh, that people are out there listening, and there are a lot of people out there listening these last couple of months, and it's pretty damn awesome. So thank you, everyone that's out there. Oh, and by the way, we've got two new T-shirt designs. You can check those out at T Public. Uh, there's a link in the show notes, or just go search for Piecing It Together on T Public. And uh, yeah, we got two new designs that I had made. So uh, yeah, go go check those shirts out if there's a sale on, because shipping's kind of high on T Public. But uh, when they do the thirty percent off sale, though, I, that's when I order my shirts. So that does it for today. Let's leave you guys with a piece of music, and then we'll be back with more Piecing It Together next week. Um, What should I leave you guys with today? Uh, I'm pretty sure I've played this on the show before, but I think it's a good one for a movie like The Last Black Man in San Francisco. This is a track called Under the Dust from my album Head Like Fire. Uh, Enjoy it, and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together next week.
and All Points West. 